David Herskovitz, and you're listening to Light Culture, brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Based in Vancouver, Canada, Burb strives to build on the city's legacy of cannabis tolerance and its gift to the world, BC Bud. Follow us on Instagram at shopburb and subscribe to this podcast at shopburb.com forward slash lightculture. Isaac Mizrahi is a man of many talents. Most of all, people know him as a fashion designer, and with good reason, multiple Designer of the Year awards led to going into business with Chanel, Target, QVC, Liz Claiborne, to where he is today, designing what he describes as clothes, not fashion. Along the way, he's morphed into a multi-hyphenate personality, TV talk show host, project runway judge, singer, costume designer, author, whatever, it all adds up to Isaac. Born in Brooklyn into an Orthodox Jewish family, he rebelled against his upbringing and eventually realized there was no room for a gay boy with an artistic sensibility in that world. At New York's famous High School of the Performing Arts, he connected with a like-minded community and first started smoking marijuana. His recent book, I Am, a memoir, tells his story from his early years to the moment he's backstage at the legendary Carlisle Hotel, ready to launch his new career as a cabaret singer. We talk about the good old days when Madonna, Robert De Niro, et al. would come to his shows, and Mark Jacobs and Anna Sui made their mark. Eventually he got bored with doing Runway and chucked it all, But he's still got a lot to say about things, like why he's not snobbish about what people wear and why he thinks department stores going out of business is a good thing. So all I can say is, don't expect the expected. It's Isaac Mizrahi. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Light Culture. I'm here with Isaac Mizrahi. I'm here with David Hershkowitz. <laughs> He's here with me as well. And Isaac has done so many different things, but most people that I know, and when I see mention of you in the media or somewhere, they always refer to you as fashion designer. Yeah. And I know you've done so many other things since 1987. Yeah, exactly. You've won many CFDA awards. Mm-hmm. You've won... I don't know, every award you've worked for Target, <laughs> worked for, yeah. waiting for the Oscar. I know that's, that's right. That's, that's right. Way. That's right. And the Tony. Yeah, or a Golden Globe. I'll take a Globe. I'll take a Globe. Okay, yeah. good. So all of those are on their way. You've designed costumes for movies, theater, mm-hmm. dance, opera with, yeah. you know, great people. Mark Morris, Twyla yeah. Tharp, Bill T. Jones, um, deceived a Drama Desk Award. Right. You were featured in a movie unzipped. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I do yeah? a lot Am of I things. I'm reminding you like all the things I, I, you forget. I, I want right? to stop doing things. Just stop, right? Well, we haven't even gotten but... to 97 yet. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. It's so true. It's so true. Then you did uh, like a comic, a series of comic books, um, and kind of, you know, moved out of like being the fashion designer yeah. full time into doing your own show. You went on TV. That's right. You have a one man show. Yes, you, that's right. You sing, you dance. Come on. What I is directed it? thing. I directed operas. I direct this show at the Guggenheim every year. I, di- I you know, I, I love that too. 
and I love writing. I love to write. Which is, yeah, which I haven't even gotten to yet, which most right. recently you did I Am, a memoir, right. mm-hmm. uh, which is a story of, of your life right from the beginning. It is. Mm-hmm. Your personal life. Yes. So what? So tell me, what happened with fashion? Did the love affair end? Or tell me... Um, you know, I, I have to say, I, I was kind of... I was raised in fashion. You know, my mother was really, really into it. Um, and she had a little money and she bought some designer clothes, but she also bought like cheater stuff and she had a lot of style and she put clothes together. And my dad was in the fashion business. He, he made little boys suits actually is what he did. And so it was kind of like in the DNA of the family. And yet I had much more leanings toward show business. You know, I, I used to make puppet shows when I was a kid because I was in this very weird Sephardic Jewish community that didn't really love the idea of art or anyone who was effeminate or right so I was very I was like an outcast and so I I made puppets and I did female impersonations and I was this little freak of a kid in the 70s did you know you were a freak then or is this something uh, you, know, you figured out later I, I if I didn't know I was told on a regular basis mm. that I was a freak by my you know my peers and also like rabbis didn't hold back either they were pretty nasty people when i was a kid you know i think rabbis have come a long way you know Although i wouldn't be so sure about that, <laughs> but on yeah side. depending but um the, no because the thing is like you know and it still exists it's it's sort of it's sort of that way or the highway i know from my sisters because and who i really like you know i like my sisters but we have so little in common because they weirdly became more religious as i became kind of atheistic you know completely atheistic and by the way yet so culturally jewish you know? yes culture yeah. you did that collection even that's one right time with the big jewish stars on that's them, right right that's right but you see what i mean it's like you know um you're you're not included if you're Jewish and gay or something. You're not included if you're Jewish. And an artist, really, they don't really love the idea. Hasidic Jews don't really love the they idea don't, of art. Yeah, there's no room for that in that yeah. world. No, or no, Or any no. orthodox world in general, because they don't, it's not a world they understand or have anything to do with. Yeah, and somehow, like, art is graven images, and I don't know what that even means, graven images, but I know it's a sin. And so if you're born you know, kind of wicked, like I was born wicked, you kind of, uh, you kind of go, no, wait a minute, I haven't done anything. I'm just doing what I do here. And so you can call me a faggot and you can call me a fairy. You could call me whatever you want. But first of all, I'm not sure you even know what that means, right? Like, I'm not sure that in that time when I was growing up, people calling me faggot or calling me, you know, queer or whatever, like, I don't even think they could fathom what the actual act was or something. They just knew that they had to call me that. I swear, because it was so unmentionable when I was growing up, so persona non grata. Um, But anyway, so I did figure out how to escape really, really young. And I think it was really good. I worry about kids who aren't as resilient as me, who don't know somewhere that it's not they who are wrong, but that it's the world around them. Well, it's a lot of, you know, variation. Some people don't find out till their, you know, grandparents that they were gay and they come out that late because they just... Right. This didn't happen. What I love about you is that you're not gay. (laughs) I don't know how you missed that with all of your exposure. And also, like, I I think you identify so strongly with outcasts, and I'm not exactly sure why. Really? Were you an outcast when you were a kid? Well, you know, we have a similar background, you may Mm -hmm. know, because I grew up in Brooklyn, also had Orthodox parents. 
also was kind of the rebel kid who, you know, got beat up by the rabbis for not wearing my kippah outside of class or whatever, you know, things like that. So I don't know. I also was an immigrant. So I felt I think I felt like wanting to be an American became very important to me. Yeah. So, you know, wanting to just join up with and everyone was an outcast if you weren't. Orthodox, and in my case, also Holocaust survivor families. Wow. So they had all, all their friends wow. were from that world. So it was, you know, kind of insular in that way. But I felt like I always wanted to just go and run off to Times Square. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you, when you use that idea, this idea of people wanting to be Americans, you know, that's kind of like, I feel like part of the tragedy of the generational story of my family. You know, my grandparents immigrated from Syria. I guess there was some kind of expulsion either late in the 19th century or early in the 20th century. There was some evil Jewish thing going on in Syria where they're from, and they came here. And then my parents were born in America, right? And so for them, being American was great, you know? Um, But of course, they kept one foot in this kind of Orthodox Sephardic community, right? But it was very weird and not congruous with what you might think of as Orthodox. Like you think of rabbis as rabbis with big black hats and the payas and the talit and whatever, right? And and I had those in school. In shul, they were quite good looking. I mean, they were supposedly like quote unquote Orthodox, and yet they were in like a tight suit with like a shirt unbuttoned to the waist, you know, a big chai and like a hairy chest and they smelled good and it was sexy, you know, and really a bait and switch, you know, for a little gay kid. It's like a sexy rabbi. What the hell is that about? You know, it was a very strange thing. And the women dressed like crazy at the shul, right? Which was, I I think it's orthodox, but these women in heels and big hair and if not decolletage and tight clothes, hot. They were dressed in that way. I was, you know, reading your book, and um, I just I jumped out. This thing jumped out at me because, you know, your mother is like sort of your fashion influence. Mm-hmm. But then your dad sounds like before he was married, like a bit of a scamp and yeah. like like more of like the entertainer. That's right. The guy who fooled around with other right. with a, a woman who wasn't Jewish. Right. Who, right. They lived together. And he smoked pot and he drank and, you know, it was a whole thing. And he spoke about it as a cautionary thing. Like, don't do this. This is what I did. Oh, so he told you that. Oh, what yeah, yeah, yeah. He told me all the time. He said, you know, when I was a kid, when I was in my 20s, I ran away with a woman who wasn't Jewish, and I was a, he was a drummer, a jazz drummer, right? How hot. I know, exactly. <laughs> and he lived with this woman in an apartment, and they drank, and they smoked grass, and they ate unkosher food, and they made love. And, you know, it was this fabulous thing until his brothers found him, and they beat the shit out of him. Oh, literally? To, yeah, according to him. This was the story. Oh, and they, God. like, beat sense into him, right? Which meant he left this woman. He left that whole life. He went back to that, I think, like, awful place and, you know, kind of buckled down and found a Syrian girl and married and had kids. Obviously, it was not such a bad thing for him, but I always thought that it would have been better if he'd like stayed with that other lady in the village. Yeah, you, yeah, you know, it would be a different story. It would be a different Isaac. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, for sure. Because today I feel like that's part of him is manifest and and the entertainer you are, yeah. the musician, right? You play the piano. And yes, I used musician. to play the piano. I I sing now. I you sing a sing, lot. But you know, yeah. so that it's interesting that that side of him has become more of who you are now yeah. because you're less. The fashion guy, right? right? Yes, I mean, yes, absolutely, and um, and 
and I wish I could be less the fashion guy because, you know, like I was going to say, this whole idea is going to sort of get to this, right? Which is that, you know, having grown up among all those clothes and then kind of gotten very proficient at sewing and I went to Parsons, I had this meteoric rise in fashion and, you know, I never really thought about it too much. I didn't think about the fact that it was a service industry for the rich, you know, it's like you're serving the rich. That's what you're doing, basically. If you're making really couture designer clothes, that was fun for a minute. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me. It was like, really? Like trunk show customers balancing their meds and like listening to me tell them what to wear. Like, no, I don't need to do this for a living. And by the way, not that what I do now is so much more helpful or something, but it just feels better to well, It's me. more accessible, isn't it? The you price know, points and yes, things like that? Yes. And no, but I mean I mean in terms of like trying to go out there and like be this entertainer oh. or sing. But you know what? I do have to say this. I mean this the truth. I th- I think when people look at runway shows, like pictures of runway shows, it does relieve strife. It does give them a lot of pleasure. But the minute they get into a store to try clothes on, especially crazy, expensive, problematic clothes that aren't just, you know, some crew neck T-shirt with long sleeves, right? It just becomes very not so great. It really, it's like a hard thing to do. You're in that fitting room. You're looking at yourself. You never look good in those things. It just, I find, it's just a losing battle when you try clothes on in a department store. And then people talk about, like, the department store is going out of business, and I go, yeah, bye-bye. You know, I'm sorry, like... Goodbye, like exclusionary, scary. So when did it happen? What happened? Was there something particular that? It's um, a slow burn. And and your career, when did that, you know, when did you first notice that? What were you doing at that time? I was trying to please people. You know, I was trying to maintain... That the Chanel era? Yeah, the Chanel thing. They were my partners, and I didn't want to disappoint all of my employees. I didn't want to, like, have to fire this incredible staff that I had, you know, kind of amassed around me. The design assistants, the incredible men and women who sewed the clothes and who made the patterns. I mean, they were amazing. And it was a great little family situation or big family situation. And so that's what I had a big ta- a big the biggest problem with. Felt this responsibility toward them and I got a little bored. How many fucking runway shows can you do? You know, after Your runway a while. shows were so good, though. Thank you. I Thank you. Like, Until they really weren't. Until well, they yeah, weren't. maybe so. But in the beginning, I remember that that would be a highlight of Fashion Week for me, certainly. I think that was when I was introduced to fashion in the, at all in the first place. And I remember everyone would die to get in. Yeah. They would sneak in. It yes. Would be like you had the supermodels, every supermodel, yes. Naomi, Linda, Veronica. Yeah. Not to mention, you know, Madonna and Liza. And people would just come. And we didn't pay them or, you know, that right. was like Before just, you that had really to pay went, them. Yeah. This was like a combustible scene, you know, like Robert De Niro and... Right. I mean, these people would like show up and demand. And of course, you'd love them to come. Right. Because it was happening. It was yeah. part of the culture. That, you know, it was the rise of the American designer for, yeah. for that moment. Yeah. Right. Because yes. Todd was there and yeah. Anna and yes, Mark. Uh, Mark was starting. Mark mm-hmm. Jacobs and right. Sui Todd. Yes. So yes. this was like a great time and it was so exciting mm-hmm. and it hadn't really been formalized. There was no um, no you know, Times Square where they... No, there were no... You know what? That CFDA that was the and, end of it. That was sort of... Uh, to me, that whole tent thing was like the end of it because 
and the, and and honestly, I think I did my best show in a tent because I was so scared of having to show. That was the first show. I think it was the first show I ever had in a tent. And that was against my will. And I remember like Anna calling and saying, you know, just do it because it's so much easier for everybody. Anna Winter, yes, saying. What skin is that off your nose? And I thought, all right, I guess I have to do this, you know. And that's what made me think of this idea of taking the flats away and making it a scrim. Right. That was a whole awesome, scrim idea. Show. Yeah. But, you know, like to get back to the question about what fashion is, I guess. When a kid is doing it, when you're in your 20s or your early 30s and you're going out at night and a lot of times you're high and it's fun and it's a whole, it's, it's, it's attached to a whole social scene, then it's like you're not really thinking about catering to rich people. You're, just, you're actually thinking of giving the finger to rich people. It's like, no, really? You thought this was good? I'm going to show you what's good. I was doing that to such an extent that it wasn't so great for my business. It's like they'd say, you know, one season I would do like parkas right the first season i started doing these parkas and and they people love these parkas and the second season i remember ellen saltzman remember ellen she oh, ran yeah, sure. she ran sacks at the time she came back and she was like where are all the parkas like we need the parkas so i was like really ellen you're gone you know like that's what you think right like keep watching keep watching but she was right obviously like you're supposed to do that you know you're supposed to cash in and I was always, like, too bored to cash in or something. And then the whole subject just got to be, like, a little boring, you know? As women's wear and Vogue and the powers that be in fashion got, like, sort of more and more, what's the word, as they had more and more to look at. Because, by the way, did you notice there were thousands? Like, after they were, like tens of fashion shows, then there were hundreds of fashion shows, then there were thousands of fashion mm -hmm. shows. And I used to say this a lot. I used to say, like, you show me a theater critic that sees more than maybe three shows a week. Whereas, like, a fashion editor has to see, like, 600 shows. Three in shows like, a day. I know, exactly, right? Yeah. And how do you maintain objectivity? How do you really look at something and notice little beautiful things about it? And I mean that. That's like an indictment, but I mean it. Sorry, yeah. fashion editors, whoever you are. I mean it, you know. I get it. And for me, I'm always interested in the scene as much as the product, you know. So whether it's like the East Village art scene of the 80s, I love the fact that there was all these people going out and hanging out and you're with these people and, you know, just having fun popping yeah. in and out of places. That's to me, was the excitement. Then you also had the art. That's great. That gave you, a, you know, context, something to look at and be a part of that as well. And the fashion scene of that era was really fabulous in the 90s. And then it's like there are some of us who are better at adapting. You know, like there are some of us who are just better at keeping up with society and going out and what people are wearing and what they should be wearing, what they shouldn't be wearing. For me, that became a very like sort of tedious, boring thing to think about. You know, it's like, oh, I, I don't care. You wear whatever the hell you want. You know, it's like that's how I really feel. The clothes I make now are just exactly they're just kind of. I think they're really good value. They're made of some really good fabrics, and they're all, like, just plain little tops and pants. Well, quality is always luxury, right? I so think so. You... No, but you know what I mean. It's not, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not doing You're not doing fast fashion. fashion. No, I'm not doing fashion. I'm not doing fashion. You're doing clothes. I'm doing clothes. And, and also, like, you know, as much as 
like maybe one meeting a month or something and a lot of emails going, oh, could you change that? And could you do it? So I'm really not. I'm mostly writing and performing, really. That's what I'm doing. And that sounds crazy and you probably are shocked, but like I spend a lot of time doing that and I want to spend more time doing that. Like that's what really makes me feel passionate. Hmm. Well, you referred also, you know, since my sponsors, you know, are Burb and uh, Vancouver <laughs> yes. about getting high. And your uh, father, you right. said, he even smoked reefer. He told did. you that? Yes, he did. So what so happened? As a cautionary tale, like I wasn't supposed to. Did smoke. you even know about it, what it was then? You know, I didn't know about? what it was. It wasn't until I was in high school that I discovered pot. And, you know. At Flatbush? No, 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 no. I went to performing arts oh, high performing school on 47th arts. Street. Everybody smoked. Like it was, I don't know how you couldn't make it through that school without getting contact high, if not full on high from smoking something, you know? And it was a really good scene, you know? It was, a, I thought it was, a, I thought it was a really smart, healthy thing for teens. I'm not kidding. Because, you know, it's better than like liquor, I think. I always felt it was like more natural and better than liquor. And also, I don't think it's as addictive as liquor. You know, I'm not kidding. No, I mean, I of agree. course, you become like a total pothead. And by the way, good for you. But, you know, but. <laughs> no, it's no, totally. And, and that's uh, something that's brought up constantly in the whole, you know, the new cannabis industry. Right. When people talk about it, the comparisons to alcohol mm -hmm. are constant. You know, obviously, there's, you know, there's the destructiveness of alcohol is mm -hmm. way more. You know, way worse. And, more and you dangerous. know, there was a time in the 80s where I did stuff like I did a little cocaine. I did some quaaludes. You know, everybody did. It was just like a fun... It wasn't It wasn't like this kind of crazy... It was like a fun thing to do at a party like once a month, you know, for a few... You know, for a number of years in there when you're young and you're having fun. And we partook... Partook? Is that the past... That's a good word. Partake? <laughs> partook. We partook. We partoked. Exactly. <laughs> and so, and you know, and so now, like... And I, I mean, the last time I did anything like that was like in the late 90s or the early 2000s. My husband sometimes takes a little, you know, smokes a little pot. I sometimes smoke a little pot, you know, just a little. Some of my best friends are always smoking pot. And I think it's like hilarious and fun. And personally, like I get a little paranoid. I get a little scared, you know, it doesn't. And I have a sleep thing. And so for a minute, I thought it would help me sleep. And it really doesn't. doesn't. That I do not find that it, it helps sleep. It's very, it, it's, you have to really know what you're doing and find the right. I'm learning so much about Maybe it myself so. now because people are such experts. And, you know, I know you're like a connoisseur and you love good food and I do like good food and you know and this whole issue of cannabis now has become such a craft thing as well yeah. you know with so many different strains yes if you ever go to california or somewhere where it's legal and you know look is it Florida. not legal in new york city no it's still nothing, not legal here not, are we no. kidding are we we're backwards where this is like i thought it was retarded here. oh god that is just crazy I don't think that's no, right. No, but I mean, now they have a cafe in West Hollywood where you could sit yeah. outdoors, you know, indulge. There's a lot of, uh, you know, the talk is always about the stigma, you know, how, how we've been trained to think we're doing a terrible thing. And now, you know, like in prohibition, you know, it's like the terms of prohibition or what used to describe these yeah. last like 80 years. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's trying to be like sort of like a whole re-examining and rethinking about what this cannabis and the ways it could be used for health and wellness and... You know, my parents tried to scare us away from. Oh, cannabis. scare you away? Yeah, of course. To, they yeah. tried to scare us away, but they didn't didn't make any difference. You know, I liked I tried it. And I, I tried it for the first time in high school, and 
at the time I was living at home, so I couldn't do it that often. It really wasn't until I was in college that I actually felt freer about it. And by the way, David, I've never been like this habitual cannabis smoker. I never even had a dealer. It was always through my friends that I would have a little. And so you see what I mean. Yeah, but, yeah, no, yeah. of course. I totally understand that. So you say you love to write now. So what is what, what are you writing? What is that like? Um, well, right now I'm writing... I, I do this regular show at the Carlisle, and yes. I have a regular. I have a I have a, a new season, if you will, there in January. It's coming. I think it's January twenty first to February eighth, or something like that. And tickets are on sale oh, at yeah. Ticketmaster Beautiful. or something. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that. Take that. Ref, that requires a great deal of writing. You'd be surprised. But also, I'm writing a few other things. Uh, you know, this is going to sound funny. I'm trying to write a musical, and I'm trying to write a novel, which is really you know. One of these days I will sit down and go, yeah, you are going to write this or that. But right now, after after the um, the memoir was finished, right, that was such a huge kind of undertaking that I now have a little, I feel like I have a little runway of time before I settle into Well, someone. we need volume two because you, you haven't, so. <laughs> don't you think? Yeah. Because, you know, your professional life. Has is still remains to be told for the most part, right? You kind of ended it. Well, I mean, I, I spoke a lot about your early days, my early days, and about how I went and worked for Target for a minute, and how I just I just thought it was like, really, does anybody care? It's such a bore. This story about business and how it happened and what didn't happen and what gave me the idea or something. I don't know, maybe. But I, you know, I think there might be you know sort of your evolution into starting where you did and some of what we've been talking about now and then where where it's going to take you where yeah yes to the farm well the last <laughs> the last the last chapter of the book is is my getting my preparing to go on stage at the Carlisle for the for the first times you know and and what that process is like that's what the how, how book ends so i feel like you know maybe that's the beginning of the next volume yeah. of memoir yeah and it could be another memoir but i would love to sit down and write like some fiction wouldn't that be fabulous that's yeah hard. it can't be it's very it's hard it's, really it's hard. hard have you ever written any fiction i have i have a novel in my drawer <laughs> at least <Really>? one yes <laughs> So, um, you know, it's hard. It's hard. I thought I was just going to, you know, just do like a quickie novel. You know, I'm just going to take like two months. I'm just going to write this quickly. It's going to be like a pulp, like very, you know, suspense, like thriller, boom, boom, boom. Right. But no, <laughs> that wasn't anything <laughs> like that. I'm the no. kind of guy that when, you know, if I try to start, if I write comedy, it turns into tragedy, you know? Oh, right. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. I like it. I like it. That's funny. So are you writing your monologues or what are you yeah, writing? Yeah, I write, I write ideas for jokes, really. And what ends up happening is at the Carlisle, like, you know, I do a number and then I just start talking to the audience about whatever I think. And, and, and sometimes these jokes find their way in, find their way into the monologues. Yeah. And you sing. I do. I do. And what do you sing? Like I standards, sing... the American songbook? No, 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 no. I sing some standards, but I sing a lot of a lot of different kinds of music. I sing Blondie sometimes. I sing Chrissy Hine sometimes. I sing uh uh Burt Bacharach. I love Burt Bacharach. I love Is that the American songbook yet? I think it still it it should, should be, be right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. He's beautiful. Um, I don't know what else. Old, old, old songs. There's one song I do about, well, about opium called Lotus Blossom. 
Really? Why? The Lotus Blossom. Who's, who, what's that song? Well, give us a few bars. Usually, <laughs> uh, well, it's like, soothe me with your caress, sweet Lotus Blossom. That's what it is. Yeah. Right. That... Help me in my distress, sweet Lotus Blossom. Yeah. Please do. Right. Who wrote that? Does, I don't, do I, I would have to look on like my notes. Like a Cole Porter or something? No, it's not Cole Porter. It's some inner city child mm-hmm. wrote that song. So do you keep but up with the pop culture? Because could I tell you yes, what it's please. about? It's what I do it because I talk a lot about prescription drugs, which I don't oh. hate. I do love some prescription drugs. So there mm-hmm. you go. Prescription by the doctor quote? Yes. Like, the doctor <laughs> gave you the drugs so you feel like... So you really okay, it's okay, that. right? Yeah. I do this bit about how um, Xanax, you know, I've been very fond of Xanax, and um, I would say to him, like, oh, are there side effects? And he goes, no, 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 no. Until he's sort of looking at dementia. And you go, Dement- what? You know, right? It's <laughs> dementia. And you get demented. You get demented if you take Xanax too much. No, no. So that's no good. That's not so good. Well, why do you take these? I mean, you don't have to get too personal, but I, I know you've been going to psychiatrists since yes, uh, early age, as, I have. Discussed in, as you discussed in your book. And anxiety is a very, very big thing in my life. Anxiety. It's so bad. I wish, I just woke up this morning and I thought, what changes, what real changes in my life could I make to somehow just get this anxiety to abate. The anxiety is just, mm. it just kills me. Have you tried all of these kind of new age meditations, yoga, and all those kinds? Yeah, of- I love yoga. I love it. I do meditate occasionally. You know, I swim a lot. And I take a little Xanax occasionally. That helps a lot, okay. you know? Yeah. And, and I'm wondering, like, if, if, I, if I stop doing everything... Would I then have anxieties about not doing anything? You yeah, know what I right. mean? So, you yeah. need to have anxiety. You can't. Yeah, you can get addicted to anxiety. Right. Yes. Well, yeah. Feel weird if you don't have it. Yeah. And as I age, darling, as I age, I notice I'm getting slightly, slightly, incrementally better. Recently, I had this kind of like flight of flights. I had a fleet of flights. You know, I was in Europe for a minute, and then I was in like. I don't know where, Los Angeles. I went to Los Angeles for a couple of days. I went to St. Louis. I went to, it, was, it was a lot of planes. And there was one that was the only flight from sort of Houston or something to St. Louis. It was like a small plane. There was only one class. Everybody boards at the same time. So you literally can't say, oh, I want this seat, right? And I was okay, you know? And I didn't have to take a tranquilizer. And I think one reason was because it was so like kind of, okay, everybody in, the door's closed, here we go. And it was so fast. You didn't have a choice. So we didn't have a choice. Made it easier. And I somehow. didn't have a choice, exactly. I had to get from Houston to St. Louis that day. So Well, I think you're doing okay given the measure of success and how people look at what your life is. Yeah, and, maybe. Yeah. I think I wish that was true. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. So uh, speaking of fashion, <laughs> I just you know, I know you're kind of a classicist, right? In that respect. I mean, I remember your clothes were always had that feeling. Of, of that era, of another era somehow, but also very modern at the mm-hmm. same time, which is the colors I loved. I mean, your colors were beyond what anybody yeah. else was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, given what's been going on in the world of fashion, do you still follow it at all? Do you look at other designers? Do um, you have... You know what? Speaking of anxiety and what gives me anxiety is I look at Instagram. Mm-hmm. I have an Instagram account. And... um my own, I mean, my own personal Instagram. I have one that's my company's and one that's mine, which is called I Am Isaac Mizrahi. The point is that I get glimpses of it, fashion, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know what looks new. I don't know if you can make anything look new, 
Right. I don't really know if anything looks new. And what about this crossover from the street to, to high fashion? That's... I mean, hasn't that been what everybody's been doing for the yes. past, yeah, three million years? Exactly. But it's good. I mean, I'm not saying it's not good. I mean, what what is your option? It's that or like, you know, matching clothes with matching shoes, which I think is fascinating, too. You know, like the opposite of eclectic is also fascinating, I think. Right. Yeah, I love it. The, the yeah. one look, the head to toe. Like, yeah, like that whole, you know, what looks good is that Valentino thing. It just still looks for a minute. It just is looking good. You know, the Valentino Couture thing and also the studio Valentino. I, again, I don't look at it enough. I noticed that I just like that. Did you, you know? used to look at it more? No, I never, never looked did. at it. I yes. never looked at it. No. I remember for years, Nina and people that worked with me, Dawn, they would flag pages where I got like credits and say, please write to, you know, this editor saying thank you. You love the issue. You know, so that's how I looked that's at it. That's how you looked at it. That's how I always looked at it. Because it's I'll tell you, if you're trying to doing if you if you're trying to do something solitary it's hard to look at anything out there, you know? And that can be dangerous, too, because once I did this collection with... It was a sort of Greco-Roman idea. Actually, the girls changed without a scrim. They were literally naked. Like, I was like, you're going to be naked, or you can't do the show, you know? And this was a few years after Unzipped, and I did this thing where everything kind of wrapped with cords and looked like ancient Grecian or Roman statuary. And it was very simple, and... And somehow, Bridget Foley said that it looked like Anne de Mulemeister. It was like, oh, he's copying Anne de Mulemeister. I was like, I am? I don't even know who that is. I literally didn't even know who Anne de Mulemeister was. Now I know who she is because Bridget said I copied her, but I didn't. She said I didn't. I really didn't. And I was so hurt by that. But that's fine. I mean, like, Bridget has to say what she thinks. In fact, it makes it more complicated when you look at stuff. Talking about more of the things that you do, because I'd love to hear your perspective on the TV world, for example. Oh, which is another no. different. It's so glacial. I mean, that's just glacial, right? I mean, like, it takes forever. To it takes get... forever to get something on the air, you know. And then once it goes, it's so dicey because you never know if it's going to last. Or... You never know if it's going to last. I did have a talk show for seven years on the air, and it was really good. And the last two years, it seven kind of years devolved. Is a long time. I know. But the last two years, it devolved into this kind of makeover show and I kept saying no I'm not going to do makeovers I don't want to do makeovers and they kept forcing it and forcing it and finally I was like okay I can't do this anymore and luckily it was cancelled because it was just terrible at the end do you have any ideas for that as well or mostly yeah I do but it's funny it's like for all the content that everybody wants that everybody talks about oh my god Everyone needs content. Everyone needs content. Somehow they don't want it. I don't know what content they really want. I know. You know? In yeah. fact, I've, funny, right? I've been shopping that way myself. And, you know, yeah. exactly what you're saying. You know, there's so many outlets. Everybody yeah. needs it. And then when you actually come before them, then they go, well, yeah. Well, thank you. Not for us. And I get it. <laughs> I but I'm not that. sure what they do want. Isn't that funny? It's like all this stuff that they need. And yet... Nothing you have. Right. And then they put on all this junk instead. And why put on my junk? junk. Why? I know, exactly. I can do a bad show too. Hello. Yeah, give me a break. Exactly. And what about in your relationship to the world, the pop culture side of life? Do you ever, I don't know, how do you feel? Do you listen to hip hop ever? Or, I mean, what is your, do you listen to classical music or do you listen to show music? I don't listen to, I listen to a lot of like these days, I listen to a lot of music 
in order to cull songs for from songs. My shows. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I wrote a song. It's really good. It's called Being Gay, and it's really funny. And it's going to be at my show at the Carlisle. So oh, this is going to be your yeah. first time you perform? My first time. I wrote it with a friend called Reed Anderson, who's so incredibly smart and wonderful. And I hope it's premiering at my show at the Carlisle. But so I listen to a lot of music for ideas, too. And it's random. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Remember that song from, you know, some movie and I download the music and I listen to it and I freak out and I try it and then it doesn't work or it works. If I were to just like listen to music with no agenda, it would probably be, I guess, like some crazy classical jag that I'd be into, you know, like Berg or like, oh. you know, like some old, old you know, early music jag or something. That's what I would get into. And then all of a sudden, like Lizzo, I hear something. I was like, oh, what's that? That's good. And it's like Lizzo, you know, that's yeah. all. And Is then it, I forget it. And if you play it for me again, I'll go, oh, that stinks. But it's still the right way. place at the right yeah, time. Exactly. It works for yes. you. And then Broadway, you love Broadway? I mean, there are some things about Broadway that I really love. Yes. I was talking about this the other day. I don't think there's anything more exciting than sitting in the first sort of 10 rows of an audience before a curtain goes up and the expectations of something incredible that you're about to see. Even if it stinks, those minutes before are just hmm. sublime. You like that? Right? Are you planning on seeing the West Side Story revival? I don't know. I'm a little scared of that. I have to say I'm a little scared of the that West Side Story like revival. That you won't like it? That I might not, I don't know, I might not like it. Who knows? I guess I'll wait and hear what people say, and I guess I'll wait and read what people say, but I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm going to give it a minute before I actually get tickets for it, hmm. you know? Because I don't know, I, there's always, I saw a great play that I didn't expect to, well, I expected to love it, that's why I went, but it was this play called... Um, Linda Vista by you should see it because it's about straight people so you should see it okay so it's, yeah it's rare it's rare by Tracy thing. Letts and it's just wonderful and it's not this grand theatrical experience but it is a very good play it has a lot of good ideas in it and the dialogue is incredible and I love the set and I love the guy in it I love the lead guy in it I forgot his name and you get to see his penis a lot because he, oh, he's naked yeah exactly okay. <laughs> right. I thought you said it was a straight play oh no it's about a straight guy I'm serious <laughs> the big penis man. who walks around naked right, exactly the... yes. okay yeah that's, that sounds like a draw for right. me well yeah well, exactly so you won't be going <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I might. I mean, what made you go in the first place? <laughs> well, because I really like Tracy Letts. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I did that. And I have tickets for Slave Play because I went to see Daddy over the summer, which I liked a lot. You know, it's that Jeremy O'Hara. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I have tickets, I think, for the Layman Trilogy. Oh, so you've tickets, got some things lined stuff. up? Yeah. Then. I have tickets for Akhenaten at the Met. And I just went to the Met to see a production that I designed a long time ago that was revived called Orpheus and Eurydice that Mark Morris directed. Oh, they're still using your sets yeah, and everything? Yeah, they're still using the costume. Oh, yeah. beautiful. Oh, the costume. It was very good. The show really, like, hung together as an idea. Like, Sweet. it was almost better 12 years later or something. Yeah, yeah sometimes things have to settle, right? Yeah. Like, looking at old photos, it just looked better somehow yeah. years later. That's right. Well, thank you, Isaac. Thank you. For having this that nice was conversation. So fun and it flew. I know. We have to do part two when you get your yeah. next uh, okay. memoir done. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Light Culture, brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Please follow us on Instagram at shopburb 
and subscribe to this podcast at shopburb.com forward slash light culture, as well as iTunes and all the regular distribution platforms.